before we get to our show, here is a podcast we think you're going to love. Hey, this is Danielle. And this is Sarah. We're the Mysterious Midwest Podcast. We'll be coming at you every Monday with the ookiest and the spookiest happenings in the Midwest. From cryptids to hauntings and creatures that go bump in the night. Join us for a laugh and a drink while we talk about the strange and unusual. You can find us at MysteriousMidwestPod.com, and we're downloadable on wherever you listen to your podcasts. We're also all over that social media, so you can find us on Facebook at Mysterious Midwest Podcast, Twitter at Mist Midwest, that's M-Y-S-T Midwest, and Instagram at Mysterious Midwest. That's it. That's it. Keep it spooky. Bye. We need gotta plug to stuff plug in. in our microphones. If you want to make a podcast, plug you got to plug stuff rule. in. Do, do. Step one to make a podcast. Plug your microphone into your computer. Well, you know. How long have we been doing this? Clearly um, not long enough. Not long enough. All right. Hello, and welcome to Perhaps It's You. An unofficial Unsolved Mysteries rewatch podcast. I'm Liz. I'm Samantha. We're in the witch district. We're your cool mystery aunts. Absolutely. That's a truth. And we're here today to talk to you about our Lord and Savior, Robert Stack. Uh, do you have any updates? Oh, I have several. Okay, let's hear them. For one, I was corrected on the location of the thing. Oh, yes. we Someone with inside knowledge of the thing posted Last to time our I said, Facebook group. I believe it was Becky. I said, hey, if anybody stopped in New Mexico and saw the thing, I want to know about it. And Becky, very polite, was like, yeah, that's in Arizona. But the, in my defense, the reason that I was confused is because the billboards telling you to turn off for the thing start in fucking El Paso. <laughs> so they're all the way through New Mexico. So the hype is real. To Arizona. Yes. It's one of those roadside attractions that's like, in two days, you're really going to want to see the <laughs> thing. Also, the thing is not just Hitler's car. The thing is also like a paper mache alien. Oh, could we make a paper mache alien and start charging people to come see it? I don't know that people are so starved for something to like. The thing about the middle of the desert is there's nothing. <laughs> there's <laughs> okay, like nothing. There's point. like not even a gas station. So you get really excited about the idea of like anything like any reason to pull off the road okay okay also we couldn't afford all those billboards so yeah we definitely can't afford all the billboards we don't have hitler's car several people suggested that hitler's car should be like blown up or set on fire again i have to highly recommend the episode of this american life called hitler's yacht it's fucking hilarious (laughs) doesn't sound like it's gonna be hilarious but it is okay that's that update the thing is in arizona okay and there's not just Hitler's car. It's also a paper mache alien. Yeah. So, if the if if you were I'm sorry I besmirched the thing. Okay, more updates. I heard from my dear high school friend Kristen about Sergeant Stubby. 
Kristen sent us some photos that will be on Instagram. We have her permission to post them. I'm they're amazing. So she was listening to our Hero Dogs episode and was like, "There's a memorial to Sergeant Stubby around here. I live in Middleton." And it turned out that it was five miles away from her house. Oh my god! So she took her dog so Jamie. Hideous. I know. I know you are. <laughs> she, she took her dog Jamie to see the Sergeant Stubby Memorial, and it's so cute. Yes, there's a photo of Jamie in front of Stubby salutes, and it's delightful. She had no idea this park was even in her town, and it turns out it's really nice. So if you were in that area. Go check it out. It's so cute. I really wish we could go. It seems like you can buy bricks to memorialize a pet, and they'll put them in the Sergeant's W. I wonder how much that is. We should do it. We totally should. We should do it for, what was that hero dog's name? Oh, um. The seizure dog. Harley. Yes, we should do one for Harley. Oh my gosh. We need to look into this. We might just do it. How much it is. We could crowd raise it, maybe. Okay, so thank you, Kristen. This was awesome. Check out, so follow us on Instagram. I'm going to be posting some of the photos that she sent. She sent a lot of photos. The Sergeant Stubby is so cute. Memorial Park is freaking adorable. Yeah, so if you are even anywhere in Connecticut, really make the drive. Or anywhere in the world. I don't know. Go there. <laughs> yeah. Whatever. Hop on a fucking plane. <laughs> Your next vacation is planned. <laughs> Sergeant Stubby Memorial. Okay, next update. So my parents were catching up on Perhaps It's You on New Year's Eve, as they do, because they were behind. As all good parents of podcasters. (laughs) I'm just kidding. My mom doesn't listen to this. She's like, whatever, I've heard your voice. (laughs) But if you may recall, we had a computer hacking mystery. Yes. Where Robert Stack talked about how computers were connected by phone lines. And I didn't understand how that worked before the internet. So my dad sent me a handy email, and he said, Mr. Stack is right. (laughs) Before the internet, companies connected computers using phone lines, sometimes dial-up, but mostly dedicated leased lines for each connection. Oh. So if you wanted, if I wanted my computer to talk to your computer, that means we would have to put in a a line in between them. Just from my computer to your computer? Yeah. That's why we should all take a moment today to thank Al Gore for inventing the internet. Thank you, Al Gore. That sounds like a lot of cords. The 80s was before fiber optic cable, so bandwidth was limited to what copper wire could support. The 80s was also before the Cisco router, so it was really a computer-to-computer connection, leased line with modems at each end, or a mini-computer was programmed to be the router for the Daner Center. The 80s was before the giant telecom satellites, so intercom continental connections had to use trans-oceanic cables, which was super expensive and took months to arrange. Computer security almost didn't exist, so these crude networks rarely went outside one company. Even into the 90s, lots of servers had no password or something easily guessed like 1234, (laughs) or every server in a data center had the same password. We were still fixing some of this in Y2K projects. The reason I thought I knew my dad would know was because he was in like banking systems and software anyway it was crazy yeah so um oh and he adds as well as interconnectedness it's difficult to understand how much computing power has changed in 1980 the world's supercomputer was the cray one an iphone 6 is 21 times faster wow that's wild so there you go that's a little update on our Amazing. hacking mystery thanks liz's dad thanks dad Resident technology expert i knew he would know this is his new title <laughs> okay not just my dad. <laughs> the technology advisor to perhaps it's you. 
because I was like, there wasn't the internet, but I don't know anything else. That was my input. Okay. Super important update is that we have new Patreon rewards. Yes. Welcome to the new year. We have an exciting announcement. Hello. Hello. Exciting announcement. So until now, we've only had one tier. If you donated any amount of money, you got the same thing. Right, which makes us wonder why anyone would donate more than one dollar. Yeah, and people do. Many of you do. You get the same thing whether so, you give us one dollar or a hundred dollars. No one's giving us a hundred dollars, but <laughs> people are. Still, lots of people are giving us more than one dollar. Five, like, ten. Yeah, you gotta That's get. Amazing. You, gotta, you gotta get a little bit more for your money, right? You're already give. You're already giving us more than you have to. We gotta give back a little more to you. Right. So now we're gonna have three tiers. Let me break are it down. Are we gonna name them? Probably. Tier one is mystery solver. We need clever names for tier two and three. I feel like they should all be mystery solvers so we can refer to them collectively as but maybe it should be like mystery well, solver. No matter what, something. if you're giving to us, you're a mystery solver. Like that's yeah. the baseline. But you may also be a Okay. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I'm not creative. Someone out there listening, <laughs> maybe you have a better idea for us. Okay. So tier one which is stealing a dollar from your mom's wallet and sending it to us a month. <laughs> You're still going to get a bonus episode. You're still going to get the welcome postcard that we mail to you, which usually is an X-Files postcard with Lisa Frank stickers on it. <laughs> <laughs> Who wouldn't want that? You're welcome. And then you also get whatever we do for patrons. We have occasional watch parties. Yeah, that's open to everyone. Stuff like that. That's not on a schedule. You just will get included in any cool bonus, whatever. Okay, next level. $5 and above, you get all that stuff I just mentioned. You will get stickers with your welcome postcard because, as I mentioned, that's not sustainable to keep doing for $1. No. So that will be reserved for $5. Yeah, we need a little bit more of a markup <laughs> on that one. Sorry. And then I'm also going to be making one digital coloring sheet a month that you'll get as a PDF. And then, you know, every month you can color something. Perhaps it's you related. Is the first one going to be Robbie Stacky? Liz is winking. You it's can't told- see it because this is an audio medium. I feel like they can tell <laughs> from the pause. Wink, wink. Yes. Totally is. Are okay. you going to do must- Mustache the Hero Dog? Yeah, I think that one should be on the list. Maybe that'll be February. Ooh. I want to color that. Viva la revolution! <laughs> okay, yes. Okay, so now you know what February is going to be. <laughs> All right. We're the rare person that feels like giving us $10 or more. Why do you? I don't know. <laughs> But, well, now you have a little bit more of a reason. This is, like, this will be this a, is the generosity of your heart, which, yeah, which we also very we much appreciate. appreciate. If you're giving us $10 or more what? a month, you're going to be getting one exclusive item a quarter. So every three months, we'll send you something nobody else gets, like a pin or a sticker or a little, it's a little piece of swag that fits in an envelope. And the only way to get that will be at this patreon tier that's really exciting if that makes sense i'm super excited to like come up with this stuff yeah so we're excited to be giving more back to you a lot of you give your hard-earned cash to this podcast and you get very little in return (laughs) so we're stepping up our game just a little we're we're, we're, we dipped our toes into the patreon rewards last year okay it's a new year and we're ready seriously had to talk me into it i was like there's no way anyone's gonna give us money Everybody's Patreon budget has been full for years. They, I, I thought the same thing, but they you have, know what? Just, you can't get any more blood from that turnip or whatever. <laughs> you know? It's like, it's no. Samantha, times are hard. Nobody's got a spare dollar. 
And she was like, well, we'll just try it. And before we even had rewards, people were giving us money. And I was like, blah, 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 blah. I know. I set our goal at five <laughs> patrons <laughs> because we always joke that we have five listeners. I yeah. think we haven't made that joke in a while, but that's that's oh, our, running, our running Hello joke five. is Hello five we listeners. only have five listeners. So I set our goal at five and we quickly surpassed it. I didn't make any more goals because I'm like, well, certainly the the floodgates like, well, opened and now done. they're closed again. But we keep getting more and we appreciate all of you. And we're doing we're going to step up our Patreon reward game. Yeah. And we hope you appreciate it. If you have any questions, let us know. I I hope what I just rambled made sense. If you are already giving at these levels, you'll be you you don't have to like sign up again or whatever. It's retroactive. You'll you will be getting your new Patreon rewards effective immediately. Yeah. And the first time that like bonus thing is going to go out is every three months. So it'll be going out in March. We'll be the first one. If that makes sense. If you're thinking about signing up, now's the time. Yeah. And as Liz said, let us know if you have any questions. We're reachable on by email. P- perhaps it's you podcast at gmail.com. You can also message us through Patreon. We see yeah. those. We get those too. Yeah. Or in the Facebook group, which is the official, unofficial, perhaps it's you podcast group, something, something. If you search for us on Facebook, you'll find There's it. There's only one. We're, we're <laughs> interactive. That's where we interact the most with our fans. So yeah. join that group. Speaking of Patreon, this month we are watching Hotel Hell. Yes. we. A lot of you seem to really like our Kitchen Nightmares episode. We're bringing Gordon Ramsay back. Liz has actually been to this hotel. So she's I'm gonna so excited to about talk about it. it. Next month, we're doing Ghost Adventures, and we're bringing friend of the pod, Kara, on the show to talk about Ghost Adventures with us. I think we're going to do Bobby Mackey's Music World. Okay. Unless we I've can't... I've seen none of them, so I'm just like, whatever. we can't find the show, I don't actually know if it's streaming anywhere, uh, but I believe for sure the documentary is out there somewhere. So we we'll, may we'll do the documentary. That's going to be February. Yeah. Look forward to that. And that's it. I, I think, think that's all my updates. I hope that all made sense. All right. Thanks, we, everyone. Should we jump into season three, episode 11? Yes. Let's do it. There's bump, bump, what, bump. three mysteries. Oh, I'm going to put on my shawl, though. Yeah, it's the heat is off. It is January in Minnesota, and we are. Listener Gary made this shawl, and I'm gonna wear it like I love the b- colors of babushka that. style over my headphones <laughs> to keep me warm. It is cold in here. Uh, Hello, had- Samantha. <laughs> Liz has oh. morphed into. <laughs> Hello. Oh, you're awfully thin, my dear. She is now an unsolved mystery, an unsolved granny. Yeah, I'm an unsolved granny. I'm gonna keep. <laughs> trying to fatten you up with meat and potato pies <laughs> going down to the shops with my cart so we are doing i cannot take you seriously with that on your head <laughs> deal with it that's a very well-made shawl yeah well and the colors really are on our theme listeners with our podcast. are very talented the green Okay, so what episode are we on? This is episode 11 of season three, and I think there's three mysteries in it. There are. Oh, I have the first one. Okay. Two so shorter th- ones and one real long one. Of course. I feel like Samantha, oh, am I wrong? Does Samantha always get the really long ones? <laughs> it feels that way to me, but I couldn't just be I've, imagining since, it. Since I had the boys in the tracks mystery, which I was like, oh my God, I cannot do this much research every week. I feel like since then, Samantha's gotten all the hard ones, and I'm just like snoozing along (laughs) okay so my mystery is the unexplained it is about psychic artist coral lodge pulge something i need your analysis right off the bat do you think this woman is actually psychic i don't know but i think it's cool it's super cool usually i'm extremely skeptical of these people but i don't know unless she's got something 
sneaky going on. I feel like either way, it's cool. That was that was my that's end true. conclusion. If she's that's a good point. Somehow psychic, that's cool. If she's somehow come up with this parlor trick that's this precise and impressive, that's also cool. That's true. It, this is much cooler than the fucking woman who sticks gold leaf yeah, on her. I could do that. Blah. Like no one's impressed by you gluing gold leaf to yourself while no one's looking. <laughs> Or pretending a jewel fell out of your eye that you're clearly just copying in your fingers. Bitch, I could do that. <laughs> this, I, mean, this I could, I not, could do. not do. So I feel like whether or not she's connected, Samantha's like trying not to look at me because I'm wearing <laughs> a shawl on my head. I'll take it off. It's clearly ruining the podcast. It's struggle. Okay. I'm struggling. <laughs> okay. Uh, okay. Well, <laughs> either she is connected with the afterlife or she's such a talented like illusionist that either way i think it's awesome and you don't know and that's kind of cool too yes very very true so i like this one okay this artist robert stack this was a little bit of shade says (laughs) that she does simple portraits nothing fancy i thought that was shady too robert stack i was like first of all she might be communing with the dead (laughs) i think that is a little fancy all right, so tone it down. Also, the portraits are like pretty good. Yes, they're not. Like, I was expecting some fucking son of Sam style. Yeah, police they're not sketches. like the police sketches we see no, half the these time, are real which good. barely look like a human. <laughs> they look like a Sasquatch. Okay, I'm not even explaining this right. So she's a British artist who supposedly had the supernatural ability to draw portraits of dead people she had never ever seen after their death. And the way that they demonstrate this is they have this guy, Peter Cook, come over. He's never met Coral before. He sits down next to her, and she takes his hand for just, like, a second, and then starts drawing. And she ends up drawing his grandmother, Minnie Rose. And it truly is his grandmother. They do side-by-sides in the segment of a photo of the person, and then what she drew. It's remarkably similar and as she's drawing it she's like maybe her name is rose maybe she has rosy cheeks like i keep getting the word rosy and her last name is rose and she also had rosy cheeks because she's and these aren't generic looking people that was the other thing i was expecting when i went into this i'm like well right anyone can draw a generic looking person like if someone drew me i feel like you'd be like well that could be any white woman but this woman was very specific looking old lady kind of round and even like I don't the know, way she her, her like twinkle in her eye, like the way her cheeks dimpled and yes. stuff, like, and the guy was like, I wasn't so impressed with the drawing. I was more impressed with the things she was saying, and I was like, You're not impressed with that drawing? It looks fucking exactly like your grandmother. Yeah. And then he, she drew his mother, which was a totally different type of face than the grandmother. Yes, it was profile. It was profile. It was, it was like much style. more slender and like I don't know, just like very different, and that looked exactly like her too. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't know what to make of this. I just think it's awesome. I thought... I was extremely impressed. Some of the other drawings they showed had very unique, like, mustaches. There's yeah. Some, there's definite oh, MVM oh, contenders oh. in here. Did you draw some? I So at the end... I'm just kind of skipping around here. Sorry, everyone. At the end, they do sort of just a little slideshow of side-by-side comparisons, and they show you the sketch what year she drew it, and the photograph, and what year that person died, right? And one of them had the most hilarious mustache, <laughs> like an old-time villain that, like, wisps up on each side. Oh, yes. And 
she drew it exactly like that. There was also an impressive lip curtain. I'll have to post some photos on Instagram. This person died in 1930. They didn't have a name. I just called the mustache the sketch. Nice. And I, I, I don't know if a sketch can win MVM, but that would be my contender. Folks, you need to start harassing Liz to make a mustache zine. Oh, yeah, that might be one of the extra special oh, rewards. Yes. I want one for myself. Of all of of <laughs> all of the MVMs. Because yeah, every week Liz draws one of the mu- the impressive mustaches <laughs> in the show, and I just feel like people are going to want a collection I f- of them. I feel like I've kept all my notebooks, so that that is possible. Okay, so... Uh, oh, and then... That, so that guy Peter said that it was uncannily accurate... And his grandmother had actually died in 1962. There was really no way that Coral would have met her or known that was his grandmother. Again, this is pre-Google Images. You know what I mean? Like, this is pre-Facebook. It Today, right. I would be like, okay, well, you're just looking these people up. Right. Because, you know, right. you somehow can get into their Facebook page and see what they've posted of their grandmother. I don't know how she could have done this. Robert's text says that while some psychics are obvious charlatans, others display gifts which seem to defy explanation. This type of psychic ability is known as automatic control, which is sort of like she's like allowing herself to be used by spirits or like they're communicating through her in some way that she doesn't know or understand. Is that kind of like where automatic writing is that in yes. the same category? Like she's just letting her hand draw the portrait and she's not really aware of like what it's going to draw interesting um she had said she stopped counting once she had done a hundred thousand of these portraits wow and that the way that she became aware of her ability was that shortly after world war ii she had taken her mom who was feeling down to see a psychic and when the psychic greeted her she was like oh you're a psychic artist and the woman was like i am she was already an artist. She was an artist. Before this. But she was like, I'm not psychic, lady. And she was like, oh, you just haven't honed your gift yet. So she spent, like, years honing this gift somehow. And then that led into this ability. Okay. There are the most adorable British people in this segment, and I love all of them, and I want to give them all a hug. I really wish I could meet Coral. Unfortunately, she passed away in April of 2001. She, they show her, like, giving a speech on her, like, ability to this, like, drawing room of ladies. And I was like, oh, I wish I was there. That just seems cool. I know. I, that's pretty much the whole mystery. She wrote a book. Oh, no, I, can't, I think, I can't remember what it was called, though. Like, Living Images or something, something like that. Like which I'd be kind of interested in seeing. It was extremely impressive. Yeah. Because usually I'm just a skeptical bitch when I go into these segments and I'm like, okay, what the fuck is this going to be? And then as it was going on, they showed more and more side-by-sides of the work she'd done. It was, is eerie. Yeah. And it, yeah, extremely impressive. And they do talk to another woman who um, who met with her and she was able to draw her, her aunt who died when she was six and was just like, I have no idea how she would be able to do that. And she was wearing this like hilarious red like power suit with like huge (laughs) shoulder pads it's really great um coral said that she was hoping that this would help people deal with the death of their loved ones and that she wanted people to know that there was a life after death and that was sort of her purpose in doing these drawings i like it i think it it did seem to bring joy to some people i don't know if that like convinced them of an afterlife or what but it is cool that's really all there is to it coral you seem like you were cool she seemed super cool. Wish we could have hung out. Well, listen, you're an artist. While I'm wearing my 
babushka, babushka shawl. Sip, sipping some tea and sitting in a little Start garden. Start honing your craft, Liz, and maybe a future Patreon here could be I'm you drawing someone's art. dead I don't loved ones. I think I'm a psychic artist, everyone. I Look, think this is a very... Coral didn't think so either. I think this is a very rare ability, and we should <laughs> respect that. I'm not Coral. Okay. Samantha has a final appeal. This was originally seems like it was a two-part thing. It was definitely a two-parter, so the segment is long. But it's very interesting. It is interesting. Um, so, first of all, I want to give a content warning. They use the R word a lot in this segment. Oh, yeah, they I'm sure not, do. I'm not talking about Robert. This is not Robert's tag. Why would you give a content warning for that? <laughs> so, You're like, it's going to be too hot to handle. Stack, 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 stack. Robert Sagan said over and over again, no, they use the R word. If you don't want to hear that, you may want to skip the segment. Or if you don't like stories about horrifying injustice maybe you want to skip this one as well yes this made me quite angry yep so as liz said this surprise is surprise a final appeal yeah that's a thing that never happens to us when we watch the uh-huh. show all right so on april 13th 1986 at 7 30 p.m firefighters were called to the home of 79 year old pauline martz where her body was found inside she had died of smoke inhalation but her death was no accident it was determined that she had been bound and gagged her killer, having set the fire in order to suffocate her and destroy evidence of the crime. Five days later, the police picked up 22-year-old man named Johnny Lee Wilson, who was a friend of Pauline's for questioning. After several hours of interrogation, they obtained a confession from him, even though he was not aware of what he was confessing to. He was also questioned without his parent. How old was he? So he was in his 20s. He was 20. He was 20. 20 years okay. old. But he has the mental capacity of someone in the fourth grade, basically. Yes. And he's... He lives with his parents. They still care for him. And he's being questioned without an attorney, without a guardian. And not even understanding. We'll get into it. But he was asked later, do you know what Miranda rights are? And he couldn't even answer. I don't remember what he what answer he, he said, gave. But he it was, was like, like, yes, it's the difference between right and wrong. Yes. And you're just sort of like, oh. Yeah. So this is not great. Uh, on the day of the murder, Johnny was hanging out with friends. And then he mowed a neighbor's lawn. His mother and grandmother picked him up and took him home. They said that Johnny then had a friend over around 7 p.m. Afterwards... Johnny and his friend went to the post office to mail a letter, and when while they were returning home, they heard the sirens and drove to Pauline's house to discover that it was on fire. Gary Wall was a friend of Johnny's, and he saw him there at the house. So Gary also was mentally ill. I think I don't know if he knew him from school. Or... I, that was the impression that I got. But they he was also at the scene of the fire. I don't think he was the friend that was with Johnny. Was he? No, I think they bumped into... Like, a bunch of people are gawking at the fire. This and, is not a, a large town. Yeah, so and they bump into each other. I, I think they did know each other from school. They were both in a special program. Um, and so they get to chatting. Right. So, however, the next day, Gary was picked up by the police and questioned. He told police that Johnny had confessed to tying Pauline up and leaving her in the house to die in the fire. However, Gary failed... Two lie detector tests. Actually, I think he t- he failed three. Yeah, I think he trailed three past one or something, which just shows you that lie detectors are stupid nonsense. Yes. And um, based on this confession, police searched Johnny's home, where they found women's underwear in his bedroom. However, it seemed like he... 
like his mother had her own like a dresser in his room i don't know if they just didn't have a lot of space yeah and so some of her clothes were in his room but like in a dresser i think she was using some of his closet space and also kept a dresser in his room it's not really that weird no but they were like oh it's it's his room so they they just like he has that he has an entire drawer of women's underwear it's like yeah because that belongs to a woman that lives in the house right which his family told the police they stated that it was his mother's underwear it did not belong to pauline the police also found jewelry that they thought was stolen from the mart's home however johnny's grandmother said that she used that jewelry for sewing i have a bunch of like rhinestones and just you know old broken jewelry and whatever that i keep around for crafts right and that seems like what his grandmother and now i'm like oh people are gonna say (laughs) people are gonna search his house and say stole it all also it was like if it's anything like the reenactment, uh, it's crap. It's not like jewels. Yeah, it was. It's like junk. It was a pile of junk, broken costume, costume jewelry. jewelry, like you would find at the thrift store. It's yes. not like valuable that you would steal it. Yes. So then they found a nearly empty gas can that they claimed was used to set the fire. Uh, this just makes me feel like you can never have a gas can. I know. Don't keep your gas in cans. I'm so. I like what. <laughs> the police will use it to railroad you. Yes. So they gathered all of this quote unquote evidence and then they proceeded to interrogate Johnny for hours and they reenact the interrogation based on the transcripts. And if you've seen Making a Murderer, it's yeah. like exactly how Brendan Dassey was that's interrogated. A, that's what I thought too. Where they're constantly like, well, how do you think she would have been tied up? And he's like, mm, handcuffs? And they're, and they're like, like, no, that's the wrong answer. It's like, because he doesn't know, because he was not there. That that Brandon Dassey thing makes me so mad. It's infuriating. Um, have you is, watched the second part of Maybe I have Room? not watched the second one. I can't bring myself to watch it Neither because it's going to be so upsetting. I know. I hate that he is still in prison. Yes. There's no His confession makes no sense. And there's no way they should have been talking to him without a guardian or a legal representative. Right. I don't really think police should ever be allowed. I realize you can. I don't think that's good that you can just interrogate people without anyone there to represent their interests. No, especially not a vulnerable person, because what happened in this case and what happened in Brendan Dassey's case is that. Johnny didn't know he could just up and leave. Right. Because, of course, he's got these authoritarian police officers holding him in a, in a, a room, asking him questions. Yelling at him. the mental capacity of a very young child. A, a child isn't going to know that they can just stand up and say, fuck you guys, I'm out. Right. Like, they're going to do what these adults are telling them. And that's essentially where Johnny's head was at. And then he's put through hours and upon hours upon hours of interrogation to the point where he's like well if i just give them the answer they want they'll let me go because that's what they tell him they right. say give us the answer you want and everything will be go, fine and you can go home he so says that at one that's point what he does they pulled his head back and that's when he said that he did it yes. of course because he's scared yeah they physically assault him at one point so this it's is appalling horrifying all right so um eventually johnny confessed after the confession he was arrested and charged with first degree murder he was evaluated to see if he was mentally fit to stand trial two psychiatrists did not think that he was mentally fit to stand trial however a court-appointed psychiatrist felt that he was this is where we get to the part where they're asking him like do you understand what you've been charged with because they're trying to figure out if he understands the charges if he's able to assist in his defense I think there's one other thing that proves you're mentally competent to stand trial. He's really not. He doesn't... No. Really, He doesn't really understand why he's there. He 
they ask him if he's read his Miranda rights, and he says, like, maybe. And then they say, do you even know what that is? And, and he's he said, like, yeah. the difference between right and wrong. And they're like, okay. So clearly yeah. he's not. Clearly he's not. And are they charging him as an adult? Like, that also seems... I believe so, because he was 20 years old. But... Ah, I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. So, he told his attorneys that he was innocent, but with the evidence against him, his attorneys told him to plead guilty, because otherwise he would be found guilty and sentenced to death. So There's no evidence! telling him you could get killed. There's no evidence against him. A, a completely bogus confession... And a bunch of stuff they have in the fight in the house that actually has no connection to the crime to his scene. mother and grandmother. Yeah. Yep. You have a mom is, like, their case. You have a grandma. Yeah. So when he was taken oh. before the judge to plead guilty, it was quite obvious that he had no idea what he was doing. When he was asked why he was pleading guilty, he responded that he did not know. And they still let him do it. Yeah. They interview some experts who are now working on Johnny's behalf to try and get him freed, who say there is absolutely no reason, like, when he went before the judge and the judge asked him, do you willingly, voluntarily plead guilty? And he said, no, and I don't know why I'm here. The judge should have stopped everything and said, well, I'm setting a court date and we'll see you at trial. Yeah. But he accepted his guilty plea and sentenced him to life in prison. So this is all just trash. <laughs> can we can we not hear any more comments about how we shouldn't be questioning the? I'm not even gonna say the justice system, the court system. Right. Yeah, there's no justice. This is completely appalling. Stuff like this still happens. We can't be like, oh, you know, that was in the '80s or whatever. No. Like, right. yep. We still try. Yeah, we were just talking about Brandon Dassey. This could be his his story. Yeah, we still execute people with. Very low IQs, which Isn't is Isn't there a appalling. state right now that's about to execute someone who is convicted based on bite mark evidence, which has been debunked? Probably. I'm Probably. pretty sure I saw that on Twitter. So, so the world should just fucking burn. Okay. <laughs> Don't worry. It will. Give it 20 years. All right. So February of 1988, Chris Brownfield, while serving time in prison for another crime, told authorities, authorities that he knew the real killer of Pauline Marks. And that it was not Johnny Lee Wilson, because it was him. This is amazing to me, actually. It, I mean, this is stunning, honestly. Brownfield claimed that he and an accomplice were tipped off about Martz's home and that she had a great amount of money inside. They broke into her house. Ransacked- she was known as, like, the richest woman in town. Right. I, I don't know if we mentioned that. Um, ransacked the place, bound and gagged Pauline, Bra- and Pauline, and then... His accomplice decided to burn the house down to destroy the evidence. Brownfield claims that he tried to go back into the house to save her, but it was too late. The two men then fled the scene and left Pauline so, to die. So Brownfield was like, did you get the old lady out? This is according to him, but whatever. And then the the accomplice goes, no, she was getting lippy with me. <laughs> so he left her in there to burn? And then Brownfield is like, uh, let's go in the other way and try to get her out. But then the fire was already was like big. engulfed the house. Usually, would I believe that? No, not really. But this guy, despite being a murderer, <laughs> has more conscience than a lot of people working on this case. Yeah. Because he hears that, that somebody else got convicted for it and feels bad for him. I'm like, he shouldn't be in prison. And he was like, I heard he was raised by a single mom and his grandmother. Yes. And I was raised by a single mom and my grand. Like, <laughs> he had so much empathy for this person. Despite the fact that we learned later that he was going around killing old ladies. This is not the first old lady he killed. Yeah. Okay. For a second, I drew his mustache and I was like, oh, this guy, like, 
came to the rescue. Right. I wonder what crime he was actually in prison for. And then was like, oh, the killing a different old lady, murdering numerous old women. <laughs> yes. Oh, never oh, scratch no. out that mustache. <laughs> Dirtbags can't win MVM. But he he did show. Does see people are complicated. Right. He can he can murder a bunch of old women to rob them, but he also felt a personal connection. Does this guy like the police? No, right? Does he completely believe the police would railroad and convict an innocent person? Yeah. Yes. Does he relate to the fact that this guy like had a hard upbringing and, you know, was not mentally capable of commit like it's just it's mind-boggling. It's wild. Yeah, so his confession to the murder of Pauline was made public. The town was shocked. A billboard was created in an attempt to get more interest in the case. It said something along the lines of this, like, welcome to Aurora. Is this Aurora, Colorado? I think so. It was like home of Johnny. Convicted without a trial. Kid convicted without a trial. But then someone firebombed the billboard? Yeah, clearly not everyone in town believed that Johnny was innocent, but... Well, they were all wrong. Yeah. (laughs) I completely believe in a citizen. Brownfield's confession was later determined by a judge to be bogus. However, Johnny's supporters believe that he... What? I don't know. They just didn't want to admit they were wrong, yeah, is what it exactly. is. The system is upholding itself. However, Johnny's supporters believe that Brownfield is the perfect suspect in Pauline's murder, as he has killed elderly victims in a similar manner in, in the way that she was killed. Yeah, it fits his M.O. He literally has confessed to it. He has the ability to confess in a way that Johnny does not. And he knows information about the crime that was not released to the public. Yeah, there was like a... I think I have this in my notes later, but there was a stun gun found at the yes. scene, and he knew like exactly he could describe exactly what it looked like, and this wasn't something that was released to the public. And when Johnny was asked about the stun gun, he thought it was an electric razor. So... Come on. I wonder I wonder I wonder which one of them did it. Yeah, I wonder. Oh, it's a mystery. We'll never know. <laughs> so prominent attorney D. Wampler soon took up Johnny's case. <laughs> I didn't catch that name when I was watching okay. the episode. It's not as bad as Sheriff Lumpkin, but well, Attorney Wampler is I don't another character in our forest yeah. uh, cartoon. <laughs> the idea that this the forest has an attorney is kind of funny, but So so Sheriff Lumpkin is a bear. What well, is lawyer Wampler in our forest cartoon. Uh, like a badger? Wouldn't the badger be the bad guy? I don't know. I guess, I guess this not. is your forest vision. <laughs> maybe yeah. maybe he's like a big toad. <laughs> right? That, that seems like that should be the judge. Uh, <laughs> I don't know that Samantha. It's a raccoon. Now you're like, no, that would be a robber. Yeah. Oh! I was just about to say that. <laughs> I don't know. A very greedy squirrel. Okay, sure. You can be a, can be a squirrel. <laughs> or what else? Whatever the I'm trying fuck to think of something wise. Maybe a, an owl? An owl? Or would that be the judge? Well, there's more than one judge, maybe. There's both a toad and, and an a, owl. <laughs> there's we would like be terrible at making cartoons. A beaver okay. and a beaver a is the local carpenter. Uh, a skunk is the is the character that no one wants to be around. I love skunks, though. They're so cute. They're so cute. They're so cute. When I was little, I wanted a pet skunk. You can get a pet you skunk. You can. I don't know how like humane it is to remove their scent glands, though, because that's what you have to do to keep them as pets. Yeah. I think it's only ones that have to be like rehabilitated anyway. Oh, okay. 
Like, well, I don't. Case. I don't think they go like catch wild ones and do it. I think it's ones that like get abandoned or <laughs> wild skunks would make terrible pets. Yeah, <laughs> sun glands or not, I feel like they would just like claw your eyes out. We used to have this family of skunks that lived under our shed, and it was just the cutest, so cute. cutest thing. Oh my god, skunks are super cute. So I, in this, I would like to be the skunk. Okay, what would you like to be? Maybe a capybara. <laughs> This is quite the forest. I know. It's very exotic. <laughs> no, a hedgehog. I would be a hedgehog. Oh, yeah. You would be out making the crop circles. Yeah. Of course. <laughs> of course. Sorry. All right. So, uh, Attorney Wampler soon took up Johnny's case. He oh, was... he's a salamander. Oh, yeah. I like that. <laughs> I like that a lot. <laughs> okay. Attorney Wampler. Uh, he learned that Johnny had lost his wallet shortly before the murder and that the police had claimed that they had found his wallet and were able to get him to come down to the police station without his mother or grandmother by saying that they had his wallet there. Yeah, So Lovely. they lured him there. They then began to interrogate him about Pauline's murder. They continually told Johnny that he was guilty and that they had witnesses to, to corroborate it. They yelled at him and aggressively interrogated him, including pulling him by his hair. What? What the fuck? Yeah. Yeah, it's awful. Since Johnny had such had such low mental capabilities, he was unaware that he could leave whenever he wanted to. I don't know that. I mean, I think that's true that he was vulnerable and they took advantage of that power dynamic and that he didn't, you know, he totally didn't understand what was going on. But even adults don't know that you can just get up well, and leave. Well, part of the problem is that the police are allowed to lie to you. Right. So they can say if you leave, that'll be used against you in court or whatever. They can intimidate you out of, like, technically you can leave, but they can definitely intimidate you or make you feel like that's not true. Exactly. And no matter what, we are socialized to feel this power dynamic between yeah. they're an authority figure, whether or not you're 20 or 60, you're going to feel like they are in charge and it's going to be hard to just say uh, bye. Yeah. So I, I, I went you know. and saw Dean String, um, who was one of the attorneys from Making of a Murderer, like a year ago. He came and spoke um, at a law school. And one of the things he talked about was just because you can't imagine yourself in a position where you would falsely confess to a crime, like that's your privilege that you can't imagine yourself doing that. Plenty of other people feel like they're in a position where they have no power and that that's like the best deal they're going to get. Like, if the police say, like, hey, we've got your fingerprints, we've got witnesses, we've got blah, 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 because the police are allowed to lie to you, they'll be like, great, they're going to frame me. They're going to lie in court. They're going to, like... Totally. There's not a way for me to get out of this. I might as well, even if I didn't do it, right? I might as well take a deal. I might as well take a deal. I might as well confess. That's what they want. And then we'll try to get through this, like as best as possible given this nightmare situation so and that's you know that's just the reality yeah so and so that's things that happen to grown-ass adults who do understand what's going on and then they just go i'm fucked right right there's no there's no good outcome here i might as well take the least bad option that's yeah that's someone who like fully understands their situation unlike johnny who is being manipulated abused, lied to. And has no clue what's happening. And thinks a stun gun is an electric razor. Really, really terrible. So after they finally physically assaulted Johnny, he did end up confessing. As the interrogation continues, he was 
it was obvious that the deputies were feeding Johnny information about the crime, which he knew nothing about. They told him that if he said what they wanted him to say, then he could go home. When he did just that, they instead arrested him for the murder, which Johnny could not understand. The shocking details that Wampler found in the confession (laughs) showed that Johnny's confession was completely false. Yeah, because they're just telling him what to say. Yeah, exactly. They're saying, yeah, guess this, guess that. And then when he finally gets it right, they're like, oh, you did it. No, that's not how that works. Because when he's guessing, they say, how how did you tie her up? And he said, uh, handcuffs? Which also... wrong answer. Uh... I think that also just proves that someone's thinking like a child. Like a child would go for a dramatic, complicated right. way, not a rope. You know what I mean? Yes. Like, how did you tie her up? What would be cool? Handcuffs. It's like, no, he probably took some rope. You know what I mean? Yeah, so he like, guesses that's all not... these things, finally lands on the right answer, and they're like, you did it! Yeah, it's completely yeah. ridiculous. So former deputy Dustin Toller began investigating Johnny's case as well and found that the evidence against Johnny was not credible. All of the evidence found at his home did not belong to Pauline and nothing could be found that could tie Johnny to Pauline whatsoever. Also, they found a stun gun at Pauline's home. Chris Brownfield described using a stun gun at the Mart's home and described the stun gun that was identical to the one found at the crime scene. Also, the usage of a stun gun was never released to the public. Johnny had no idea what a stun gun even was. When questioned about the stun gun during his interrogation, Johnny thought a stun gun was an electric razor. On The other thing was that they found this empty gas can at Johnny's mother's house. They also found an empty gas can at Pauline's house. But they chose to say that the one they found, which is a totally innocuous thing to have in your garage... That this one was the one that was used to burn down Pauline's house. It's ridiculous. On May 8th, 1989, Wampler attempted to get Johnny an actual trial, but a judge denied it, claiming that Johnny was competent during his confession and that Brownfield was not a reliable witness. In September 1990, his appeal for a new trial was denied again. To this day, Johnny remains in prison, but maintains his innocence. So they show him in prison. They interview Johnny, which is a lot, which is something they do during these final appeal segments. And I just, it ends up that he has to be segregated from all the other inmates because of, for his safety. So he just spends all his time alone and in a maximum security prison. He has, at this point in the show, no hope of ever getting out. Yeah. And, yeah, it's just... This country should burn. Pretty awful. So, however, this has a relatively happy ending. Oh, best update ever. Because at this this point in the episode, I'm like, well, gotta pack my bags. I'm breaking this guy out of prison. (laughs) Right? Like, this is so completely unfair. I'm so angry. Like... This ends tonight. <laughs> well, fortunately, Liz does not have to go help someone escape from prison because this case... First of all, how much help would I really be? <laughs> you show up at the prison gate. Just banging. Let him out! Let him out! <laughs> I've got like a tiny little pickaxe. I'm like <laughs> drilling into Maybe the wall. Maybe this guy could dive into the prison while Eye of the Tiger plays. <gasps> the Eye of the Tiger <laughs> And then all the prisoners are like, what the fuck? <laughs> Let's go, Johnny. And they're like, yeah, wrong prison, bitch. <laughs> I'm like, damn it. You're at like the St. Cloud prison. You're yeah. like, what are, you, what? what are you doing here? Can I go? And I'm like, no, I don't know what you did. And I like, <laughs> then go away. <laughs> Sorry, I have to look into your case. Bye. <laughs> All right, so this is solved. As the years passed, the case continued to fall apart. One of the witnesses, Gary Wall, recanted his testimony. He- yeah, because I think they manipulated that. 
person, too. Yes, he did. He also didn't know what was going on, and he gave a pretty vague confession anyway. His thing was like, yeah, Johnny was just like, yeah, I did it, and if you tell anyone, I'll beat you up. Yeah. I was like, all right. Yep. <laughs> I'm sure that's real. So he claimed that the police forced him to say that Johnny confessed to him. I'm sure In they September did. 1995, Missouri Governor Mel Carnahan reviewed the case and granted Johnny Lee Wilson a pardon, exonerated, exonerating him of all charges. He concluded that the police had fed Johnny information about Pauline's murder and that his confession was false. Johnny was released after serving nearly nine years in prison and was finally reunited with his mother and grandmother. As of 2017, he still lives with his mother and continues to mow lawns. He states that he is not bitter about the wrongful conviction. Whoa, I am. And he has happily moved on with his life. Pauline's real killer is believed to be Chris Brownfield. However, he was never charged with her murder. Well, he was in prison for other murders. I know. My thing about Brendan Dassey, speaking of, of him, is that um, Scott Walker said had said, you know, because he was the governor when Making a Murder came out and there was all that buzz about it, he said formally he would not be reviewing Brendan's case or uh, Stephen Avery's. He's gone now. Do you That's think true. there could be a chance for... I'm not totally clear on the difference between clemency and a pardon, but I think the governor can grant both. Can't, can't he? I have no I honestly am not sure. But I think he would certainly have... Because a lot of people, I think, were like, well, the president can pardon him. Well, the president can't because it's a, he, right. a state crime. He was convicted in a state court or whatever. Right. Um, but I think the governor can. So, you know, maybe we should all start writing some letters or something. I feel like... Well, maybe I shouldn't comment on this until I watch the other part of Making a Murderer. But I, I feel like particularly Brandon's confession... Just makes no. It makes. I'm no not sold sense. on Stephen Avery's guilt or innocence, but yeah, there's I think, no way. I personally, I feel like the police fucked that up so bad that we'll never really know. Yeah, that's a good point. But I am very positive of Brandon's innocence, and I think that's been a huge miscarriage of justice. And I hope he can be released soon because it's just. No, it's yeah, awful. It's awful. It's awful. I'm glad that, you know, nine years is not a short nine amount years. of time to spend in prison, but he what? was sentenced to life and it could have been a lot worse, a lot longer. He's out living with, you know, he's back with his mother. He says he's not bitter about what happened. Which is amazing to me. I feel like he should have sued them for all they were worth, but. I wonder what, you know. Since he was pardoned and not grant, you know, there wasn't a ruling that it was a wrongful conviction. I bet he's not oh, eligible for anything. That's probably true. You know, there's so many loopholes around that, that anyway that I, that I bet That police he, department, though, is like, corrupt as fuck. Yeah. Anyway. It, terrible. And it seems like they should be held responsible, because who knows how many other people they did this to? Right. They're not trustworthy in any way. No. It, it, it pulls so many other things into question, like all their other work you would have to examine oh, through that sure. lens of, if they're beating up suspects and Absolutely. Getting confessions out of them. And you would have to hope that in this small town, there's just like no other crimes for them to abuse. You know what I mean? I would hope so. But and then Pauline's family never really got justice. Yeah. I mean, it's probably was that guy. It's assumed that it was him, but no one ever pursued it beyond publishing his confession in a newspaper. Yeah. So it's it's really interesting. If you're going to watch the segment, it is really interesting to hear that guy talk about how bad he felt for johnny yeah it's just not something you would expect it's fascinating yeah okay we have one more case um that was the bus stop update ever so glad johnny's not in prison that i don't have to go break him out that's true what a relief because i was like well i guess we're all writing letters to johnny tomorrow (laughs) dear johnny we will get you out (laughs) 
Hang tight. Hang We're, tight. We'll be there. We'll be there. I Like 30 years too late, but whatever. Okay, so I have an unexplained death, which um, is either an accident or foul play. Um, I have my own suspicions, but we can discuss it. This is the death of Kenneth NG, who was found dead in his garage. This was in Edmore, North Dakota on October 4th, 1988. He was found at 3.30 p.m. in the afternoon dead in his garage um his uncle found him and the cause of death was carbon monoxide poisoning and there's some slight suspicion around the death but i kind of don't really buy it yeah no (laughs) okay i don't think there was any foul play so at, at very very first they thought it might be a suicide um that he had left his car running on purpose so that he would die of carbon monoxide poisoning however there were a few suspicious elements one is that a fully loaded 22 caliber rifle is found six feet from the body there's also a small pool of blood on the floor also he's like not in the car he's on the floor of the garage right in front of the door right in front of the door the But the reason this is clearly not suicide, you would think, is that the gas tank is nearly full and the ignition of the car has been turned off. Yep. So if he was committing suicide by carbon monoxide poisoning, you would think he would still be in the car. You would think the engine would still be running. Right. That's typically how those very tragic cases go. Um, There was no signs of assault on the body. Um, So his family was like, oh, we don't think he committed suicide. I don't think he committed suicide either. I think that this is an accident. Yeah. So we get (laughs) the bestest reenactment, which is that Kenneth and Curtis was with his friend Curtis, heck, at a bar till close. Yep. Uh, Is Curtis heck Canadian? I don't know. But he's so entirely wholesome. (laughs) Yes. For someone that's getting into, like, a 2 a.m. bar brawl. (laughs) So, it's the end of the night. The bartender's like, hey, guys, you got to get out of here. Please leave. Please leave. Like, seriously, go the fuck home. And Kenneth was like, yeah, who you going home with, sexy bartender lady? And she was like, not you. (laughs) (laughs) This guy Curtis over here. To which Kenneth got so mad that he, like, punched Curtis, and the two of them got into a barroom brawl. But you get to hear Curtis talk about it, and it's just sort of adorable. <laughs> He's like, 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 look, neither of us are Muhammad Ali. So <laughs> so you can imagine all this one. Well, you can imagine we're drunk. <laughs> we're not good at fighting. <laughs> we're rolling around on the ground, and eventually I'm holding him there, and I was like, I'll let you up, but then you just got to go. <laughs> And I'm going to take this sexy bar lady home. (laughs) And so Kenneth is mad and he storms out, right? And this bar also is like your classic town dive bar. It's just a country bar. You know, like the posters of the sexy ladies that come free with shipments of beer or something. (laughs) I don't even know where those come from. (laughs) I think they do. Possibly you get an order of vodka and it just has like a a calendar with like an... Somehow, even today, still like an 80s babe with like the high cut swimsuit leg and the like big hair. And she's like, ooh, cores. And, you know, everything's like wood paneled. And I kind of really wanted to go to this bar. It seemed very funny to me. Anyway. uh, So, yeah. So, Kenneth, he's mad. He's not going to get laid. He storms out. Clearly should not be driving. (laughs) Yep. 
is in such a bad mood that he purposely backs his truck into Curtis's truck and speeds off. And so Curtis is like sitting at the bar and he hears the collision and he knows immediately what happened. <laughs> and he's like, God damn it, my truck. <laughs> you don't mess with a country guy's truck, let me tell you. Also, both of these guys do body work on cars, yeah. which is hilarious. So he's so Curtis goes, Well, if he if I have to work on my truck, <laughs> he has to work on his truck. Yeah. So he drives him and the waitress over to Kenneth's house just so he can go kick in the sides of the truck a little bit. The reenactment of him kicking this <laughs> truck. I'm just like, dude, you are going to fucking mess up your back. I know. He can like barely you make it done to, tonight. You need to go to the chiropractor tomorrow because you are going to I'm feel sure he this. was so sore. Though that would be the most fun reenactment to do. <laughs> yeah. I was like, remember that stupid thing you did when you were drunk? Now do it again. <laughs> For TV. For TV. And he was like, all right, that would be so fun. Anyway, so he goes there and he's like kicking in Kenneth's truck. And then he hears something in the garage and realizes Kenneth is in there. So according to him, he opens the door of the garage, sees Kenneth like passed out drunk on the ground. And it was like, well, now you have to fix your truck too. And, you know, turns around and leaves. Yep. So he is the last person to see Kenneth alive. He... Says, I did not realize he was dying. <laughs> yeah. And then he's like, like, in hindsight. In hindsight. Because probably Curtis shouldn't have been driving around either, right? <laughs> These are two guys that have been drinking till close. Yeah. And he is oh driving God. the bartender home. Yeah. And he's driving the bartender home. And he was just pissed about his truck. He had just kicked this truck he's drunk he's drunk he's, like, he's angry looking back on it he's like I'm... looking back on it it doesn't feel real good that he was dying and i just <laughs> turned around and closed the door but i did not know that but the truck was off right he didn't smell any fumes or whatever he had no reason to believe there was carbon monoxide in the garage you know in theory kenneth is a mechanic he should know better whatever he, did, he claims they didn't fight again. There's actually no signs of assault on the body. Yep. There's whatever. Kenneth's family is like, oh, this guy Curtis killed him. What the police think happened is he backs into Curtis's truck and like, ha, 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 got him. And then goes home and is like, oh, fuck. <laughs> Curtis is for sure coming here. He knows where I live. I didn't just drive into his truck and get away with it. So he's sitting in his truck with the rifle waiting and it's probably running and it's probably running and at some point goes wow this is a really bad idea so he turns his truck turns off, the truck off gets out of the car but does not make it out of the garage before he's, collapsing he's wasted he's probably a combination of he's wasted and dizzy from the carbon monoxide fumes right and, and then he lays on the ground carbon monoxide is heavier than air that's why they tell you to put your carbon monoxide detectors on like the oh, the lower yeah, yeah. plugins or whatever, so probably it's all just like on the floor, and then he lays down in it, and they were acting like because this guy was a mechanic that he wouldn't have had his truck running in a closed garage, and I was like, no. I think this guy was drunk as a skunk. No, I don't also he think does body work. He's not like an engine mechanic, and he's he's drunk. He's pissed off. I don't. He might not be that good at his job. <laughs> I hate to break it to you, but... I think 
that the police are right in this case. I think he was just waiting for Curtis. That's why he had the gun with him. People make a big to-do about the fact that the car was off, but also, if you're going to kill someone that way, you wouldn't turn the car off Okay, the thing is, if Curtis is going to murder this guy, he's not going to do it with a car and carbon monoxide. Like, this would be a crime of passion. This isn't something he thought through. They got into a fight at two in the morning. Right. He would shoot him, or he would beat him to death. He wouldn't turn the car on him for a little while, turn it off, and then leave. Yeah, because you wouldn't even know that that would kill him or not. No. That doesn't make any sense. That's not how you would commit murder without thinking it through at all (laughs) when you're drunk at two in the morning. No. While the bartender is waiting, well, she's in just her waiting car? outside. What are you doing in there? Yeah, no. Oh, I'm, just, no I'm sense. just killing Kenneth with carbon monoxide. Don't worry about it, baby. <laughs> right? Like they would have had a fight or something. Yeah. How, how would he get him to stay in the garage otherwise? He's not tied up. Kenneth, lay down. Lay down. <laughs> I got a surprise for you. It's called death. <laughs> no. No. None of this. It's, it's an accident, and I, I realize his family is having trouble believing it, but the autopsy doesn't support the family's theory, and the police maintain that the cause of death was an accident. It's technically unsolved, but I, I think we solved it's it. It's pretty solved. I, I think that everybody should watch this segment just so they can see Curtis... Just kicking at a truck. Kicking at a truck. And just sort of like so politely explaining how he got into this bar brawl <laughs> and how he did not know that guy was going to die. I, it's just sort of, it seems like a kids in the hall sketch. Yeah. I don't know. It's very sweet. I, I did draw Curtis's mustache here by this. Is he Canadian? And I called his mustache the Golden Arches. Nice. Because he was blonde and it, it kind of looks like an M. A little bit. Um... Yeah. Is that the mustache you scribbled out from? Yeah, this <laughs> this is the guy that turns out he's killing old ladies, so he doesn't get to be. Yeah. I was going to be called the helpful criminal. Okay. <laughs> but We're throwing him in the trash. Yeah, no, sorry. All right, so that's my case. Okay, well, let's rate this episode. Yeah, let's do it. Mysteriousness? Not that mysterious. No. I mean, was Coral psychic? That's, I guess that's still a bit that's of a mystery. That's our mystery, but... Um, she probably wasn't, but it is a mystery how she did that. And a mystery that. is like, yeah, what, what was she up to then? I really want to know. So yeah. I'm like a hesitant thumbs up on that one. The rest of this is not mysterious. No, not mysterious. We've solved these other cases because we're geniuses. Yeah. Reenactments. I actually thought, if we can put the R word aside, yeah. I thought your segment was very gripping. Yeah, and I think they did a nice job with the reenactments. Yeah. The courtroom, well, there's not really a courtroom. It's the like judge's chambers and like an interrogation room. But all of those were really well done. Yeah. And I think they put a lot of work into making them accurate. Sometimes the longer segments kind of drag on. I'm sure you've heard us complain like, oh my God, why is this so long? This one didn't really. No, I, I was like g- glued to the screen, really needing justice for Johnny. I thought it was very well done. And this last one is kind of hilarious. It's, it's a sad accident death but the reenactments are amusing they are um so i would give it a thumbs up i think so too fashion um there's some good fashion in my first segment for sure uh other than that meh yeah it's so kinda, sideways it's i guess meh. robert stack eh yeah i don't meh, know meh, meh. i didn't notice anything 
Yeah. So he's just throwing some shade at Coral, but other than that, yeah, other than that, like, well, they're nothing special. They just come from beyond the grave. <laughs> All right, Zach. <laughs> wow, he's Listen, got his really, bars raised. Yeah, he's got some really high art standards. All right, so out of a possible five out of five, Robert stacks. I, I liked this episode. I like this episode. I would say you're a three of a half and a four. Yeah, I agree. I think it's actually pretty solid. Yeah, I really enjoyed the first one. The last one had some solid reenactments. Yeah. And like you said, Johnny's case was really gripping, and I'm happy it had a good outcome. Yeah. I'm not going to say a happy ending, because he still went to prison and had he to go through this. wasted and almost still a decade. no justice for Pauline. However... Um, it's it not a, as bad as I thought it was going to be. Yeah, and at least we can, we're not totally left with nothing but outrage, so. For once. For once. <laughs> For doesn't once happen very often. Goddamn lives. All right, so that was that episode. Do you have something to recommend? I thought that I didn't at first, but then. I kind of don't, but I do have something. <laughs> so. But then a friend of mine came through. Uh, a friend of mine. Brian Duffy, who is an artist in Chicago, he made this illustration, which I should pull up for you. Is this the one you have on Twitter? Yes. I loved it. Okay. It is two figures moping, and it says, mope all day, brood all night, party never. (laughs) And it just speaks to me on a deep spiritual level. And I have been asking him for probably years now, can I buy this as a print? (laughs) When can I buy this as a print? I need this hanging in my home. This is my life. And he just kept being like, yeah, yeah, I'll get around to it, whatever. I have a small child, Liz. I'm busy. (laughs) Well, I have needs too. (laughs) Finally, finally is available. You should go to his Etsy shop called Yeah Duff. So that's Y-E-A-H-D-U-F-F. Yeah Duff. And it is available for there. You can get it as a digital download and then print it any size that you like. Nice. I kind of need, I think I'm debating. I kind of made me like a whole poster for like my door, like dorm room style. Nice. I don't know. It's so good. I love it. I saw you tweeted it and I was like, this is amazing. I The second I saw that it was finally available, I was like, oh my God, <laughs> I've been waiting and waiting and waiting. <laughs> I love it. Yes. So check that out for sure. So my recommendation is kind of more of an update. Okay. But I really liked it. So this comes to us courtesy of friend of the pod and fellow podcaster Rob. I don't know if you saw this. He literally posted it today, like right before we recorded this. No. And that is, they think they've found Amelia Earhart's plane and they're raising money to get it what? off the, o- the ocean floor. So this is, um, first of all, I want to point you in the direction of some other resources that are done more research on this than us. There is a podcast called, is it Chasing Earhart? I think so. It seems like they, they're on Twitter. It seems like they really know their stuff. And they have interviewed, I think, some of the people that are involved in this. From what I can tell, we talked about the Earhart Project, which are the people that had all of those, got all those recordings and kind of oh, put forth yeah. the theories about her being on this island. It turns out her bones were found there. Um, so they and this man, Bill Snavely, Snavely, sure, have started a new endeavor called Project Blue Angel. And there's a little bit of information on their website. So they talk about for the past 13 years, Bill has been studying and research and researching a reported aircraft wreck site in the near coastal waters of 
I think it's called Buka Island near Papua New Guinea. The site is approximately 100 feet below the ocean surface. Hmm. Um, he learned of the site in 2005 from a local corrections officer. This okay. apparent wreckage site is located directly along the route that Amelia flew in an area that has never been searched. Bill appears to be the first person to search for Amelia's aircraft by starting at the beginning of her flight route. Um, from That's weird. No yes. one else thought to do that. <laughs> to the west and working his way eastward. Bill's theory is that Amelia and Fred flew for approximately 12 hours and turned around due to being low on fuel. This is the first time in history of the Earhart investigation that a possible aircraft craft site has been discovered with multiple characteristics of Amelia's Lockheed Electra, which is Ooh. her plane. This is wild because I've always thought of this as one of those mysteries that was never going to be solved. I know. it's Well, and they most likely know that her remains were found. We don't have yeah. the remains, but chances are they found her remains, and now it seems like they've probably found her plane. In August of 2018, members of Bill's team went to Buka to conduct a preliminary investigation. Um, they connected with islanders and conducted initial dives. The team included a marine biologist and a filmmaker, a licensed boat captain, aircraft pilot, all kinds of people. In the 2018 expedition gathered measurements and other data to assist in evaluating the crash site. These, This data is under review by experts. They'll be releasing their findings soon. This kind of just happened. Um, they can report that they found a piece of glass approximately six inches in diameter that has a lot of consistencies with a landing light on Amelia's plane. And I think they said that there's like five or six other things that are very unique about her plane, that it seems like this plane shares those characteristics. So what's next? They are planning another expedition that will include additional experts and equipment, such as um, high-technology underwater submersible capable of enhanced imaging, um, blah, blah, blah. So they have a lot of expenses. They recently added new team members after appearing publicly for the first time. Oh, here we go. Um, they appeared publicly for the first time in 2018 on pod- on the podcast Chasing Earhart and Astonishing Legends. And they were featured as a guest on um, something called the Chasing Earhart Discussion Panel. They launched a GoFundMe effort to help with expenses for the next expedition. So I looked at the GoFundMe. I'm not sure if they just launched this or what, but they've only raised $10 out of their $200,000 goal. Oh, no! So <laughs> I'm not saying you need to give them money, but this might be something to follow because if they reach their goal, if they're able to go on this next expedition, um, they may be able to raise this plane from the water. Yeah. And if it truly is Amelia Earhart's plane, that's an incredible find. Yeah. And will probably solve a lot of the mystery. So keep an eye on the Project Blue Angel Rob posted the GoFundMe in our Facebook group. If you want to go support that, you can. I'm not saying that you, you need to. I'm not sure if they're going to reach their... It seems like they have a lofty goal and they got a long ways to go. So they may not even get there. But it seems like these people are excited about this and are going to hopefully go on this exp- this additional expedition and gather more evidence. So maybe it's something to keep an eye on. Subscribe to the podcast, Chasing Earhart. I'm sure they will keep, keep us updated. Um, maybe check out the episode of Astonishing Legends that they're on. I don't know. I thought it's interesting. This is an interesting mystery, and I would love to see this definitively solved. Maybe one day we'll be able to see her plane in a museum. I don't know. That'd be cool. Do you think it will not include a radio because she hated them so much? Possibly. I think we should all take this as inspiration that any mystery is solvable. I like that. That is the moral because of the story. Because I would have told you we'll never know. Truly. Yeah. 
But turns out they've... I thought this was the definition of an unsolved mystery. Totally. And now... Same and kind of solved. Totally. So we can solve... Any Let's work together. We can solve any mystery. Mothman. Solved. Solved. By us. Did he have... Does he have... A rock and booty? A rock and booty. No, he's not really a man, Samantha. (laughs) He's like a giant moth apparition. But... You don't know. You've never seen him. (laughs) You know what? (laughs) You're right. And I hate to contradict the forthcoming romance novel. Exactly. About you and Mothman. (laughs) Exactly. So, what do I know? As usual, none. (laughs) Okay, let's end it on that note. You should check out all of our social media things. It's Perhaps It's You. Perhaps It's You. We're going to have photos of the mustaches on Instagram. Check them out. Yes, and the Sergeant Stubby Memorial. That'll be there. If you have a paranormal tale, would you please email us? Perhapsitsyoupodcast.gmail.com. We really need some paranormal stories. Yeah. So if you saw a ghost or an alien. Look, we or, have books of them, but they suck. So we need some better we, ones. Yeah, you. the stories we've gotten from listeners are 10,000 times better than <laughs> so, the ones in these books. Are, are you saying that the, a haunted drain is not an interesting okay. story? Someone tell me if I'm wrong about this. I swear there is a Stephen King short story about a haunted drain. Can someone confirm to me that that's true? Is the whole story just college girls in a dorm room not wanting to lose their security deposit? I don't think so. It's probably an old white guy in Maine realizing (laughs) his life isn't what he thought it would be. In the audiobook, he has a gritty voice. Yeah. Sounds like he smokes a pack a day. Yeah, exactly. All right. Um, what else? Oh, so yeah, we have new Patreon rewards. You can go to patreon.com slash perhaps it's you, and we'll update all that info for you. We're recording our Patreon episode today, so there's a chance it may be out before the last day of the month. I mean... It doesn't happen very often, but c- my, it might just... Congrats to us. <laughs> Thank you. Let's take a bow. Thank you. Is there anything else you need to say? Yeah, I don't think so. All right, get out there and solve some mysteries, bitches. Bye. Bye.